we're back with the Danger Room's 24 Days of Christmas. This year, we're doing one episode per affiliation, each with its own special guest. We made an effort this year to bring in some guests from all over the world. Sit back, listen, and Merry Christmas. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Christmas episode of the Danger Room. This time, I have Barncat representing Guardians. Uh, how you doing, man? Doing well. Yeah, hey, uh, how's it going, everybody? Uh, Barncat here. Been uh, doing Guardians of the Galaxy now for basically my entire existence in MCP uh, competitively for anything I've done. Uh, my list hasn't changed a ton over the years. The The principles and theories behind it have, have basically remained the same. So I don't know if it's one of those things like if, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So um, hasn't quite broken yet. And I think if anything else, like a lot of the things have uh, adjusted well to the current meta. It's just continued to get better, right? I mean, we played right after you had started playing, I believe. we uh, You beat me and went to the cuts, and I didn't that season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was, uh, no, that was actually the first round of cuts um, in uh, season seven. Mm, was it? I don't was think it, it was. Or was it uh, to get in? I was playing my Web Black Order thing, and then you got Gamma, and I pulled Senators, and we got trapped on low threat, which was like really bad for that list. Oh, okay. I, I remember that was when I was kind of running the uh, the dual affiliated Black Order Guardian stuff um, that uh, that Morgan had helped me construct. Uh, Morgan Reed had helped me construct. So, and I remember going into the matchup thinking like, "There's no way that he's not going to think that I'm going to run, uh, you know, like a Thanos type team on this." And I was able to zig. It's like the list uh, or zag, right? And the list chicken thing aspect of it was kind of what gave me a little bit too much of an advantage in that game so no i think i at least not to diverge but back then i was pretty confident you were going to play guardians but i probably should have just had more confidence in myself to play a bunch of three threat web warriors and be fine but uh just didn't yeah i think web warriors in a lot of circumstances are actually especially back then were a, a really tough matchup for guardians and you had to be teched like a certain way in order to uh, deal with them effectively and it actually over the years because of things like web warriors and uh, x-men giving me so many troubles in my my early gaming experience days with guardians that it ended up affecting like my list building and a lot of the uh like the gaming principles and uh the things that i like covet and go after and models right um and it just warped it to such a degree that like you know it's they're, those are the two teams that have probably warped my my list building and playstyle more than anything else in the game. More than Thanos, more than Malekith or anything. Yeah, I don't know. I think you probably would have been better off with a little bit more of those little uh, arachnids scampering about. Yeah, back then I could have played uh, Miles, Gwen, Moon Knight, Black Cat, Proxima, 15. Probably would have been perfectly fine. Yeah, I still don't get Moon Knight, but... Uh... No, I digress. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a conversation for another time for me to poo-poo on poor Moon Knight. But <laughs> cool. So I guess we could start with your list, and then we could dive into why you have chosen these models. But I, let's start with let's start with the characters. Uh, what's your ten? Yeah. So you know, I'm running a uh, you know obviously a, a ten. 10 models in here. Uh, eight of them are actually affiliated. Um, in the past, I typically had run about seven affiliated, but as of right now, uh, Star-Lord, Nebula, Rocket Raccoon, Groot, Drax the Destroyer, Agent Venom, Beta Ray Bill, Gamora, Ghost Rider, and my boy, Space Maw. 
And the Ghost Rider is the five threat Ghost Rider, not Cosmic Ghost Rider. Uh, yes, the Superior Ghost Rider. <laughs> All right, we'll get into that in a bit. <laughs> Uh, so Star-Lord self-explanatory He's uh, one of the best leaders in the game And the only Guardians leader Good Nebula Probably pretty self-explanatory uh, She's my favorite two threat Probably my favorite two threat in the game I can't say enough about her uh, To this point now that I've, I've I'm still running a lot of the same models Obviously right But I've evolved a lot as a player And the the meta And a lot of the landscape of the game Has changed a ton And so I've just found that Nebula has just aged well with time. And with her being able to represent such a high damage output at such a low value and just being able to be out present on the table, it's like in some cases and instances to be able to kind of keep the attention away from some of your other models, uh, which can be a little bit easier to get into, uh, such as an Agent Venom or uh, maybe a little bit late game like my boy Space Maw. When you have her around, it's almost like having a bodyguard because she has to be addressed. And if you don't and you save her activations, you know, she will kill things like pretty much kill any model in the game in one uh, one activation. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to think about Nebula. I never considered that. I know people talk about X-Force this way where they like every model's a threat. So like you can deal with one or two of them, but can you deal with all of them? And and with Nebula, in the same way that you can use like a Honey Badger, right? Except Honey Badger has like obviously the the true taunt and um, some other reasons for throwing her up in the mix. When Nebula is doing it, she's also not scoring. So, and she's just a two threat. Like I, I think a lot of times players, especially when they should be playing like an aggressive style, are too far wrapped in their heads about like not wanting to to lose models or not wanting to cross like the center part of the board. You know, I will lose a ton of models in the game and more often than not, like it's in an effort to make sure that I get rid of others. And I try to make sure that I can trade away lower threat models for higher threat ones, et cetera. Obviously. I mean, it, it makes sense, but you know, when you say it like that, but there are so many players are just sometimes afraid of losing a model, even like a nebula when it's like, well, it's just a freaking two threat. Like if you just wasted a, a four or five threats activation to do that, like, pfft, cool i'm awesome like all day um and then just playing and using her as somebody to distract attention while the rest of your models are able to move forward uh and really try to set up a dominant position in the uh the center point moving forward of the board uh more often than not can just be really valuable because she's just just a throwaway piece she's not scoring just center up there I, I love her i i probably play her more than rocket now yeah nebula is really flexible right rocket rocket's like almost a pseudo five threat yeah. Uh, so he's got to do that. But how often are you putting uh, winging tokens on Nebula? I'm curious. Hardly, hardly ever. And a lot of times when I'm playing her, she's kind of like an extra model. Uh, she comes in a lot for me at, uh, you know, 18 threat and above. But if I'm playing at lower threats, it's because I'm playing more narrow and she just doesn't require them. You get such diminishing returns on having a winging it token on her that it's just in a lot of cases, just not worth it. Um, there are some cases where you can use it at the beginning of a game where there might be a situation where somebody's not necessarily contesting something or holding something or, uh, but beyond that, it's just really, really diminishing returns. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I mean, at least on round one, like you said, Nebula is one of the few models that can probably make a round one shot. Like even if your opponent doesn't completely overextend. Yeah. She's it's it's even just, you know, getting out there and using that uh, that energy attack that she's got. That's a, a gainer. Right. Because it, at that point, you're already at the range three and then it sets up your 
your round two shock sword assault to just kick off the round. It's it's just a really really valuable tool. And at that point, you go in there shock sword assault, and then you go and hit them with uh you know the the physical attack. After that, odds are you're looking at a stunned and shocked model. Uh, that even if they did live, they're probably not too happy about the uh, state of affairs in their living state, right? So, yeah, Nebula's great. I know a lot of Guardians people are fans of her, and I I like Nebula. I think she's perfectly fine at home in Guardians. She deserves a Guardian slot. Yeah, she's obviously got some interesting uses elsewhere, but uh, this is probably her best home just because of the some of the play styles and synergy she has with some of the other models, but. Yeah, I think it's easy to slot her in as an affiliated piece because if you're playing a two threat, you might be going a little wider. And then if she's a splash character, it's harder to make affiliation, et cetera, et cetera. All right, next up, we got Rocket and Groot. Probably worth talking about both of them together. Um, pretty standard Guardians models. I think most Guardians let's play these two characters at this point. Traditionally, they've they've been like the, the go-to core uh, for the team. Uh, you'll, you know, if you've listened to, uh, to last year, uh, Zach old Mandalorian orange, right. He was, you know, talked about how he used the rocket and Groot core. So if anybody's not familiar, like the, the term core is, you know, these are kind of your base models that you, you typically will select in your games to help you determine like which other models you're going to bring along with them. Right. So for, you know, the purposes of a core there, the reason why this is such a coveted core is because it's, it's comes in at such a low threat value and it allows for splashing of other models and gives you a ton of versatility beyond it. But uh, that core is going to be star Lord rocket Groot, of course comes in at um, eight threat and it's just, you know, really valuable. They have a fantastic uh, team tactics card, but again, as I've, you know, evolved as a guardians player myself, I've found myself using, rotating cores uh i'll you know run cores with the four threats uh cores with uh drax and nebula for example instead of uh, rocket and Groot, i've used the uh seven threat core of star lord uh nebula and rocket in the past uh, to do some really cool stuff right so um i think as a guardians player nowadays i think it's important to be able to evolve beyond this core um if for no other reason than that this group of characters can be a little bit sedentary. We'll just say uh, they can tend to turret up a little bit because Groot is just, he, he may as well be rooted into the ground, right? Uh, he, he's not the swiftest guy. Um, and your opponent, a lot of times is going to be going out of their way, uh, whether or not it's the correct play. I often don't think it does uh, or is, uh, to throw Groot and, and Rocket, you know, backwards or away from things to try to, you know, break up Deadly Duo or to uh, to keep them from being able to contribute to the game from an attack standpoint. And they can just be really held back uh, from uh, the battle and the fight. And they don't have any action economy. I, I think, you know, with the mobility that is so widely covered in today's kind of meta, uh, you should be kind of looking at other models uh, for different crises, I think. Uh, they're still great on E shapes and they can still do some things on uh, stuff like intrusions. But I, I do think you should be looking elsewhere or looking to be able to have a rotating core. The idea of a core was something that was birthed out of e- affiliations that didn't have a lot of choices. Back when the game came out, Wakanda was like just four models. And like, oh, well, of course, my core is Black Panther, Shuri, Koi. Like I'm, These are like three of my only models I could play. That's my core. But now that affiliations have gotten more more releases, it's more about 
like building your squad to fit like the crisis in the matchup. So yeah, Guardians have definitely gained depth now. Um, I would say probably a year ago, Rocket Groot Star-Lord was the core, but the releases this year have mixed that up. See, again, you got the, you always had the Drax Nebula core in the past. Uh, and the Nebula Rocket core was, I think it was more viable last year than it is now. Um, but I still think there is some viability and some some utility and some case purposes for it that can be pretty valuable. Okay, well, so Drax is next on your list, so let's talk about Drax then. Most Guardians players are pretty maligned on Drax, so you should sell the listeners on Drax. I think if there's ever been like a guy that I've probably talked about or advocated more than just about anybody, I, I think like my two most advocated or three most advocated models have been uh, Space Maw, uh, which will be a thing later, um, Ant-Man and, uh, and Drax. So in the past, Ant-Man used to be in my Drax role, um, just because I was addicted to the action economy and I was a little bit more all gas, no brakes on the offense. Well, I'm going to interrupt you real quick. Ant-Man is extremely fun to play. Oh yeah. He's the funnest model in the game. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ant-Man is, is my number one favorite model to play in the game period. It goes probably him space mod and agent venom as far as fun. Uh, I just, I love the different little things these guys do movement wise and, and the little, the games within the game. Uh, the other two are fun just because they have kind of like little built in weaknesses and, and, and they're almost little meta games and little things to kind of figure out within themselves. But two of those guys we'll get into later, but Ant-Man just a blast. But the reason why I, I, I liked Ant-Man or like in the case of a Drax here at the time was you typically at this other three threat position is you want maybe besides a Groot, like an independent operator that is capable of being able to be sturdy on a secure, right? Uh, you want a, a flank option uh, that can kind of hold their own while maybe you focus your fire on like one other point. Or when I, I might bring this up a few times, so I guess you should probably clarify it now, but I look at the the game in, or I guess like the board in, in different ways, but in zones more or less, right? For me, you've got like your left flank, which is like lane one. You've got your middle lane, which is would be where like a center C shape uh, token would be, and then on the right, you're gonna have like your right flank center or you know center midline C and all that stuff. So with guardians or like aggressive teams, I typically think that if they're secures in those areas, you want to make sure that you're winning at least two of them, and that you can concentrate your fire into one while you're able to hold down another. So a character like Drax or at the time Ant Man. Uh, was extremely important for that. Now, so as far as selling people on Drax, uh, do you think people like uh, Beta Ray Bill, Mike? Uh, Beta Ray Bill is the most popular character in the game right now. What's what's so great about Beta Ray Bill? He doesn't die. And he has a throw. So he has uh, damage reduction, you might say, and, uh, and a pretty good uh, throw, right? And he's got good control. So I know he's got uh, Honor Bound. He does have Honor Bound. Bill also has the medium base, which and the two power, which gives him access to eyes and grabbing far away extracts. Well, so the eyes thing is, uh, is maybe something that he's got over Drax, but you know, Bill's a fourth threat, right? He should be better than Drax. He's he's got some tools on him, like his throws a little bit bigger and a little bit farther. But for the most part, like the vast majority of characters are coming to this game and throwing people, for the most part, are throwing them short or medium. I think there's what one case of somebody being able to throw somebody long and it requires a tactics card. Do you know who I am? Eh? A lot of times what people do when they're trying to, you know, keep bill out of the fight or to manage your bill is they walk onto a point and they just kind of throw them off of it. 
and so the reason why Bill is so greatly beloved is that he can just walk back and throw them off. So if you save his activations, which you always kind of should be for these sort of models, uh, because they're durable, you walk back and throw them off. Now, when I have people tell me that they don't like playing Drax, I say, well, what is it that you don't like about Drax? Well, my opponent doesn't want to attack him because he's so durable. And so all they do is throw him off the point. I go, okay. So you walk back onto the point and throw them off of it, right? Well, yeah. Okay. So what is your problem? Like, well, he just stands around and scores VPs. And so I'm like, but you like Bill. Yeah. Okay. What does Bill do for it? Well, he does the same thing. <laughs> and so it's like, well, he's also really slow. Like, I think I should bring Blizzard over Drax. And it's like, you realize that if I were to line up a Drax against a lizard on a flank, that Drax will absolutely dumpster him, right? Like, well, what do you mean? 100%, right? Well, lizard's just faster. I'm like, by what? Like, what? What are we talking here? 15 millimeters? If somebody throws me short off of a point, how much is a medium base going to matter in my ability to get back to it? If we're both moving medium, right? Like, what are we talking about here, guys? I think the difference here is that, yeah, Drax is a lot better like jockeying over one objective, whereas Lizard can aggressively play an objective. And then if he's losing an objective, he could easily go to a different one. I mean, you say easily, but with, you know, 30 millimeters of difference, really, I mean, it, it does matter. And I, I agree. And the wall crawler. Well, I guess maybe easily is the wrong word. I should say easier than Drax. Yes. The wall crawler is also helpful, right? But what are we sacrificing compared between the two, like a healing factor of one, uh, meh, uh, the ability to bring uh, exceptional healing, which I think you'd have a hard time fitting into your five if you're playing Guardians these days anymore anyhow. I don't think people typically play exceptional with Lizard anyway. Well, you know, I'm just saying it It does. It's a thing that can keep them alive, right? Uh, and it's a powerful card, but the ability to hit back with like eight dice versus maybe four if you get punched, like I'd take that over a healing factor. Like... A lot of times people don't consider that Drax has the ability to displace and throw size four models. Uh, you get him damaged up a little bit, whether it be through you could use him no matter the cost, which I don't bring in my 10, but it is possible to use him no matter the cost on a Drax. Um, if you're running a Cosmic Ghost Rider, which you could be running no matter the cost there, you can use that with Drax. You put some damage onto him and you've got his uh, spender combined with a Vengeance token going into a large model more often than not, you're throwing a size four. Uh, there are just not a lot of size threes that have that. Uh, him being able to, you know, throw a size three with the destroyer, um, fantastic. But it's also got a terrain throw, and really underrated. But being able to do a guaranteed push off of a point for size three and below, headbutt's not that bad. So when the pivot for guardians has come around, and the pivot for guardians for me, to be honest with you, was really caused by Bill the cybernetic horse wolf God of scoring VPs. I like prior to bill, like I think I was averaging like nine points, like a game and like winning most of my games. <laughs> like with bill, I score out now, like bill scores like 10 points a game by himself. Right. Being able to have somebody like Drax, who is basically a poor man's bill. If used correctly and, and used in the right circumstances, is is just invaluable. Like I I don't understand what's not to like about this guy. He doesn't have like the same sort of uh, tools as Bill does, but I wouldn't expect him to. Bill's a four threat, and Bill's a very good one. Drax is a three threat, 
in the right list and under the right utilization is maybe average to above average. Yeah, it definitely fits into your like uh like your lane philosophy. Like you're gonna fight over two lanes and then Drax can play the third lane and just be really annoying. Actually, a lot of times I'll abandon the third lane because I will do that on purpose in order to allow my opponent, who a lot of times is going to be focused more on scoring VPs than I am, to leave a model over there. So that way I have a built-in, we'll just say like threat level advantage over them, right? And using models like Space Moss, Star-Lord, Venom, uh, Ghost Rider, like these people that have all this action economy to be able to rotate in and around behind that, to be able to dictate where the damage needs to go, while you can put up like a Drax and a Bill on the front lines just to sit there and just soak up things is just uh, massive. So I, I tend to focus on two points if I can, or or one if it's like a D shape. But, you know, the the head of the, the tip of the spear on that, uh, Drax and Bill, 100%. They're just fantastic. And a lot of times you're just asking them to exist. Uh, you know, I do a bit of a series on like the YouTubers and one of the strategies that I, I really like on Infinity, for example, would be to just have like a model like a Drax or a Bill just exist on one side by themselves just to occupy your opponent while you just go wipe out them on the other side. Usually with map B, like Infinity or Madman or whatever, usually comes down to who can refuse flank first. And whether that's through I have an extract advantage and can abandon the other side or I killed everything on one side and then can abandon it, you know? Yeah. Or or you at that point, like you've killed everything on that side and, and you can afford to leave models behind there. Or you could just you could leave the side that has models still on it. Yeah, and then you you pivot your your higher threat, more valuable. Uh, in my case, I I tend to bring a lot of high threat, high speed characters uh, that have a lot of uh, action economy and movement, and they'll pivot over, and I'll leave like Rocket and Groot behind on the uh, quote unquote one uh, the lane that I won on that B shape, and just leave them back there. Okay, well, so we've talked about Drax a bunch, so we could the easy segues to Bill. Sounds like fourth threat Drax. I mean, it's just a better version. B- Bill is the the best version of a lot of characters. Um, he's this amalgamation of just greatness that uh, he comes in with. You know, everybody's loves the size four throws. It's medium. It's it's he generates two power per turn, so that throws almost online constantly throughout a game. He's got a damage reduction to zero. I mean, yes, he pays for it, but the utility that comes with his quote unquote spenders, right? Uh, they both have just such great case purposes. And he comes in with a five dice builder, which is fine for a four threat. You'd like it to be better, but in Guardians, it helps him a lot. Uh, but his job, more often than not, scoring VPs and working secures. There's nothing better in this game than getting an extract onto Bill and getting him onto a point and just forcing people to have to deal with him. While you've got like a Guardians team that can just sit behind him and just support uh, and just blast people off of him. And you know, if they've only got two models going into them, depending on their threat level or how their team is constructed, that's just not going to get the job done on the guy. You can now, as a Guardians team, go from a situation to where you would have otherwise potentially been losing like a secure to tying it early in a game just because you can maybe get rid of one and they can't get rid of Bill. Uh, so he's just, he's probably the most popular model in the game. He might have, do you think he's probably taken over Toad or Hulk? Yes. In fact, I was just thinking, this is a little meta for the episode, but this is the third recording I've done for the Christmas specials, and all of the lists so far, these three lists have had Bill in them, and I'm I'm starting to wonder if I should just rename the, the whole series to the 24 Days of Beta Ray Bill. I mean, you could. 
because uh, if 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 you're going to be you know dealing with you know a lot of really high level quote unquote competitive players or actually quote unquote high level and all that stuff, I don't know how you don't find this guy everywhere. Yeah, it's, it really reminds me of the first time we did this, and it was uh, right after Indomitable was spoiled, and every list had Indomitable. Oh yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he just he has it all. It's just such a great general purpose model. In a lot of cases, like you can't go wrong. Uh, you know, if there are like new Guardians players that come around and they they insist on wanting a core, I think the best advice that you could give like a Guardians player would be Star Lord and Bill, and just go from there um, because he is that good. When you now give him access to some of the TTCs, which have just become a lot stronger uh, nowadays within Guardians, and you give him a few different little things to kind of prop him up a bit. Uh, he just becomes that much better and as great as he is in a lot of other teams, this is absolutely his best home uh, because he is such a valuable piece of this team. He is literally the most important, most consistent part of it that can turn like a guardians team that might've otherwise just been like a, an all gas, no breaks type experience for me and be able to say that, well, I can probably score out now because I've got a model that can score me like 10 points a game by himself. And that is, I kid you not, what Bill does. I would have been skeptical of that statement, but we we were practicing for WTC and we were pretty committed to having Deaton have a Bill in his Avengers list. So we were running a Guardians list without Bill. Even even had everything else. Had CGR, had Thanos, everything. And it the list felt terrible. We were pretty convinced that it's like, holy crap, Bill is kind of the linchpin into most things right now. WTC is a... Uh obviously it's a team event, so you get kind of restricted in some of the other things. Now uh, we were talking a little bit before this, but I used to run rogue uh, in my guardians. That was before bill came around. When you think about a model like rogue, she has a lot of similarities to bill. Very tough. She has a charge. Um, she can do some things to people's power that are great. And I still miss it. I think mutant absorption is like the best superpower in the game, but I, I miss it so much, but she also can throw a size four models. She can throw a size four terrain. She's got flight, a lot of similarities there. The ability to kind of pivot. Yeah. She takes the winging token really well. She does. Yep. The ability to pivot between physical and energy attacks kind of similar to bill. Right. So there was a lot of similarities there. And that was, that used to be my old kind of linchpin type. I bring this model into most games uh, type character right there. It was actually rogue. We played a game forever ago and I remember you playing, you played star Lord, bill agent venom and rogue, but now this list has Gamora in what I would imagine to be the rogue slot. So let's talk about Gamora. Why is she here over rogue? I think that if I do have a, a slot on this roster that is still in contention, rogue is always sitting there knocking on the door there used to be some lists that uh, I could run with this, um, like a previous list. So once Maw got unrestricted, it's you know uh, it looks like meat's back on the menu, baby, right? So he got he got released from from Thanos prison. <laughs> yeah, I got released from Thanos jail. Yeah, 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 yeah. But prior to that, just like everybody else in the freaking world, I was running Hulk. But I could come out with like a team that was like you know Star Lord, Drax, uh, Bill, Hulk, uh, Agent Venom, Rogue, right? And it's like wait a minute, that's a guardian scene that can do nine character throws in a turn. Like what? <laughs> like, you know, uh, so her existence, like it's always just knocking on the door. And again, mutant absorption, Gamora, she fits into the same sort of matchups that I think I want and like rogue for, 
Uh, she's good with uh, dealing with the web warriors just because she just kind of over splashes the damage onto them and can also be fairly hard for them to deal with because she's fast, uh, great action economy, plus the ability to bring that extra little uh, uh, bits of damage with the assassin's leap. She also is actually pretty good on uh, things like intrusions where you tend to see, see things kind of clump up a lot. Her spender now becomes one of the most devastating things in the game um, because of the ability to get the the rapid strike off of it. And, you know, you're, you're talking about a character that has, you know, the built-in superpower, Deadly Swim in the Galaxy. If you roll a wild, you can turn something like a blank or a, uh, a shield into a success. But on Cosmic Assassin, that wild now also pierces, right? So you're taking away a shield from somebody else and you're taking your shield and turning that into a success. And the rapid strike is guaranteed. There is no trigger for it. So on something like intrusions, she's just devastating. Um, You could make the argument that, you know, like the character throw from say like a sensational uppercut uh, for rogue uh, would be similarly good in those circumstances, but correction, sensational uppercut. I think it's she Hulk. Oh, excuse me, not sensational. Okay, that's She-Hulk. Yeah, yeah. Southern, uh, not yeah, Southern Hospitality. Is that right? Yeah. That's Rogue Spender. Yeah, good. Yep, cool. Uh, sorry, three, uh, three cost. Yeah, I mean, you you could make the argument that that is uh, just as good. You could make the argument that Rogue is better into Web Warriors. And it, again, a lot of that is because of mutant absorption, keeping them power starved or beyond power starved, and they're always in a state of near power starvation anyhow. And so when you're doing things like mutant absorption, that is not only taking them from like two, but taking them to zero and then doing a damage to them, you're going to have a bad day if you're a web warrior and they have a hard time hurting her. Gamora, though, the thing that ends up tipping it, and I've, I've spent a lot of this Gamora time talking about Rogue and how great she is in these things. Uh, it's the TTCs now. Things like Galaxy's Greatest, the more Guardians that you're able to bring in your roster you know, you get somebody like Gamora. She's such a threat on the board. She gets flipped. You get these turns where you'll get a bunch of models. You can get them flipped sometimes on purpose. You just play like super aggressive on turn three days of a bunch of opponents. Next turn, they come back and just daze you out. Right. If you sacrifice something that round, sometimes you can steal priority. You steal priority and you pop off galaxy's greatest on, you know, Gamora, agent venom, star Lord or something all in one turn with priority. And that's just where you close out a game. All those models that were dazed in you know, round three are now dying in round five. So uh, that's just you know a massive part of, of why I think Gamora is able to hold her roster spot. I think crew of the Milano, the more uh, characters that you're bringing can be really valuable. Being able to play crew of the Milano into a Web Warriors matchup with you know all webbed up being a thing, you were starting to see more and more characters being released uh, in the like the new core box that are putting out status conditions that have these wild triggers. There's the new Steve out there. Just you know, getting rid of status conditions is still valuable, right? Um, and at only one power, it's pretty worth it. So uh, she's basically in there for a lot of the same matchups that a, a rogue would be. The damage uh, I think is is great. Gosh, is there a harder hitting four threat model in the game besides maybe Logan? I think Gamora hits just on pure damage. Like I think Gamora's got to be number one. Like she doesn't have terrain throws. I guess she she has a size th- size two throw kind of. So yeah, if you're like double six dicers plus plus the pounce, like it's got to be up there. Yeah, I mean she she can just be devastating. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean you kind of got me there. I mean I still love Rogue, but I, I think it's. 
if you really had to ask me like why she's actually here, it's because she does a lot of the things that I like out of a rogue. Um, but she gets like the extra little oomph from some of these TTCs. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, for sure. Having access to crew of the Milano has gained a lot of value lately. So I can see that. Next up, we got Agent Venom. Uh, he's kind of a staple in Guardians list these days. I think he gives a lot of play into Scoundrels when your opponents put it out. And he's obviously got a great card. So- I don't think he's in every Crisis uh, character uh, by any stretch of the imagination. He's extraordinarily fun. And in the same way that Bill is like a a, a really well-rounded, like all-rounder, just great model. And like almost every way that you could ever want. I personally think that as far as when it comes to offense, that Agent Venom, like for his value and threat level, bang for your buck, as far as like offense, he might be the most well-rounded offensive character in the game. Agent Venom's activations always feel impactful. Now, he can just whiff attacks. That, that's something that could happen. Obviously, if wing a token in this faction, anybody can whiff, but he always feels like, I'm going to make two attacks. I'm going to teleport. I'm prop- maybe going to throw. I'm immune to all the conditions. Like, I don't care about your mods like you have no cover you have no re-rolls like yeah it's activations always feel really great yeah and and there are a couple of corner and great cases and and matchups where he's great into right and so like against these web warrior teams that are are now back in a rise of popularity against you know the storm teams or uh these teams that like you know there's been a lot of new red school come around and of course there's going to be zemos all over the place and there's also just a lot of scoundrels being played yeah, you know, he's just great into all that, but he's also great on B-shapes. And in particular, and this is a really great lead-in, I think that if he is a specialist in anything, at least as far as it's concerning with Guardians of the Galaxy, it is uh, Infinity Formula. He is devastating on that crisis, and it is because of the TTC. When you have the ability to just say, you know what, I'm going to do three attacks this turn, and there's really nothing you can do about it, just by putting him next to Star-Lord... It's it's awesome. And you can set that up and pivot to it from just about anywhere because you, you don't necessarily need him to attack on turn one, right? But you can put him in the center of the board because of his range, or you could do that with Starlord to make it look as if they were going to do that to maybe pressure somebody from not going in the middle. And then you just go and pivot to one of the flanks onto you take Starlord and Agent Venom, and they might have thought you're going to the left, but you went all the way across the board to the right. And you're sitting over on that infinity and you've overloaded it and they're looking at you potentially having priority or them not having the ability to come across into you with good action economy to actually daze you or do anything. And you're sitting there with foreign assignment ripping and ready to go. Uh, you've got a range four that can reach across. If you've got rocket nearby, woo! <laughs> oh, four power for uh, being able to do four attacks in a round that gives you two short advances. I mean, there have been some horrifying things that I have done with foreign assignment on uh, on Infinity Formula, but if you want to talk about the ability to overload an edge with just pure offense, he's absolutely it. You know, being able to do a builder off of Rocket's portion of it uh, to gain more power and then move yourself onto somebody's Infinity Point after that, and now you're sitting there with like three power again or something, and you still got your own two builders left. Or if you want to, you can build her and then maybe spend her somebody. Or if that doesn't work out, maybe you just throw somebody and then web line backwards back onto your point and just reset it all. Like the utility of it is just amazing. When you get him a little bit powered up, he just has the ability to just completely devastate entire teams. I've I've literally played games where I've had him put about almost 50 dice out in one activation and just daze an entire squad just by himself you know, an 18 threat team and just obliterate the whole team. I think I've seen that. There was a, uh, there was a game. Yeah. I played in a, uh, in a cut game. 
he, it was a Weapon X team that had a Doctor Strange. I started out by finishing off Doctor Strange with Agent Venom uh, for an assignment into Doctor Strange, got rid of him, moved, went off of Rocket, shot into a, uh, a Sabretooth, I want to say, did some damage to him, got the move off of that, went over over next to the point, and then just double beamed or single beamed into, uh, you know, 23 Logan and Sabretooth got two triggers and, you know, was doing damage in the models without even having to attack them. Uh, just ended up like dazing two of them. And then for the last action, I just shot Sabretooth. I'm like, why didn't he just do this? And then I just, you know, he had like one health left and I was like, Oh, okay. I guess I'll just pick up, throw him into the tree instead. <laughs> you know, like, like that sort of like utility and power. It's like, well, I'm just going to shoot him just because I can, you know, and they're wondering like, well, why didn't he just like pick him up, and throw him to the tree? It's like, well, maybe I can gain one more power from doing this instead. Right. Like, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to gain my power. I guess I'll just throw you into the tree right there. And that's not even like my best version of this. Like I've, there've been just times where, you know, you have an entire 18 threat team and like, he got one shot one game, uh, like round two, just in this like really bizarre, like aggressive circumstance. And I was like, huh. And then like the the guy, like one shot star Lord next to him. And I was like, huh, well, this kind of sucks. It's like, well, I got prio next turn and agent venom's on freaking 10 power with rocket and star Lord right next to him. Like, Sorry. <laughs> like, so yeah, days an entire team. Cause that was, you know, galaxy's greatest eight dice, full auto, six dice builder, eight dice beam. Like it's just, <laughs> so he, again, just phenomenal, but he's, he's not somebody that you use into every matchup. He is somebody that you want to use kind of like star Lord. He, he's a, a mid range guy that is able to float around in the mid center point of the board. I like to, if I'm playing on like something like a C shape, I, I like him and Star-Lord to be somewhat near each other, kind of floating in between the points with the ability to affect or shoot onto both, right? From there, if you're not getting like the greatest offensive results, you know, if you're not getting your power generated by say like round three or whatever, you save his activation till late, you just go jump in onto the point and just start going crazy. If if he gets damaged up, fine. Like you're going to get power next turn. If he gets dazed, fine. Like if he is able to represent such a threat that they are now dictating that their attacks go into him and that keeps my bill around longer, my point scores, right. Or whatever. Fine. Uh, and if they don't deal with him in the same way, like a Gamora or a Nebula doesn't get dealt with, if they've powered him up, he's going to kill everything. Uh, and so you can force things at that point. And the whole way of that being possible is, is the web line on him. It's such a powerful ability, but when you stack that on top of a range four model with a beam with, you know, a size three character throw, it's just, uh, he's just so good. I love him. You know, you have a range model that uh, can take away cover at range four. Like, ah, oh, it's so good. I know he's great on scoundrels and like I, but there are so many more cases like uh mutant madman. Fantastic. There into a lot of matchups. He can just be absolutely devastating. Like a weapon X, like they're not coming at you with a lot of energy. And even if they are coming at you with energy, like I kind of mentioned this in your guys' uh, server today, but what's a big time difference between like a three dice in your defense versus two? Not a ton. Right. Like barely, you know, one damage versus two damage. Like it's not really that different. You can eat two five dice attacks and odds are you're only going to take four, maybe five damage. He's got six health. Cool. You just powered me up. Agent Venom is really just the perfect role player for Guardians and and probably for S.H.I.E.L.D. too. He is. Yep. He's great at just chasing people down. Like He was a gunline model put into gunline factions who's great at chasing people. When he really gets going, there's just so much more that he can do and I, I love it. Like when you give somebody like that just that level of action economy and, and like 
a movement ability like that, plus like his other powers, it just it opens up an entire world of offense that you wouldn't think of when you kind of had this kind of like range model that just kind of dipping and dodges around in the background, just throwing out uh, some attacks. But man, when he opens up, it's a it's a thing to behold. I I freaking love the guy. Yeah, same. Okay, we got a couple models left. R- original Ghost Rider. Why is he here? Where's Angela? Let's go sell sell people on Ghost Rider. If anybody's kind of been following this affiliation. I basically plugged him in back that December into a Guardians list, and I've never looked back. Ghost Rider is the singular splash that I've had since that errata back in December of uh, 2020. That hasn't changed. There is an amazing synergy and a thing that he sets up, and we'll talk about it more when we get on to the uh, the crisis side of things, but I'll be kind of brief on it here. But I think he makes Guardians of the Galaxy busted, broken on demons. He scales extremely well with this team. And if there's ever a situation where you find yourself bringing rocket and Groot, just bring ghost rider. You bring deal with the devil in combination with rocket and Groot. It's almost an unfair combination because early when we were talking about rocket and Groot, we talked about how people like to focus on them because of the, the potential threat and the value that they represent for, you know, their, their respective threat values. Right. A range five attack with five dice on a two threat is a pretty valuable thing to have around. So people like to interrupt that. People like to deadly do it. If they're doing that and you have a ghost rider on your team, they are powering him up. He generates power probably as well or better than any character in the game, especially in some of these wider lists like Guardians. But when you have a character that gets powered up to the degree that he has that has that is arguably still the fastest model in the game, he provides the best value for his speed compared to his cosmic friend, right? You spend three power with cosmic. That's only going to get you a range three range. L get you a little farther. Now you spend four power. Okay. Big difference is this guy can pretty much always afford to spend three power being able to put out status conditions, something like a hex, pretty nasty. He comes in with a beam a little bit underrated, but if you find yourself in a situation where you can get three to four models, which in some of the crisis that he's a specialist on, not that unheard of, fine, whatever. Anytime I can put down 20 dice with one action, if it doesn't always work out, who cares, right? But what's really the big meal ticket with this guy besides deal with the devil, which is penance there. I think it's the best actual spender in the game. I mean, power denial is extremely strong. We've seen it with Cosmic Ghost Rider as well. Well, this is not power denial, Mike. It is power drain, sir. That's true. It's actually just power drain, isn't it? God, I forgot. So if you're sitting here with your model that got dazed last round, maybe you had a couple of them, because if you're playing against the Guardians team, like I said, that round three turn, you're going to get a couple models that get dazed. Typically always happens. There's usually one or two, sometimes two or three, sometimes more. You can't activate them all at once. And when you have a model like a Ghost Rider that's able to say, well, you didn't activate your Valkyrie first and she's on seven power right now. Well, how about I just go over there and take that power and hit her with a 10 dice mystic attack and just drain out like four or five of that? Like how happy is Valkyrie? Like it's and she's probably just almost dead. You know, for him to be able to do four or five spenders in a game, if he's able to live, it's not unheard of in Guardians. And the spender is just devastating. Another thing that's like really great about him as far as like just based on his stat card in and of itself and like his attacks and his abilities is that who he's actually really good into is his sixth threat counterpart. Ton of immunities, this and that. But if you've got a cosmic ghost rider that now has to spend a minimum of four rounds to probably get rid of a character, if he attacks him twice every round and that's a six threat versus a five threat, well, that's a W for me, right? If I'm OG ghost rider, my opinion. Now, the other side of it is that 
if he's not able to get rid of him, what do you think a pennant stare does to Cosmic Ghost Rider? Yeah, Ghost Rider hates losing power. Cosmic Ghost Rider. Hates losing power. If you're able to just do a massive amount of damage to him and it takes away his power and he doesn't gain it, you know, you can end up with a Cosmic Ghost Rider that could have finished an activation on like four power or something like that. Well, I gain power like it's nobody's business if I'm running my old regular Ghost Rider. I'll spend five power to do a nine dice mystic attack into you and try to drain out that four power leave you on zero going into the next round. Take a psychosis token off of that guy. Yeah, the odds of him psychosising are pretty bad. Yeah, and when you bring in like a tactics card like Sacrifice, right, and you want to make sure that you're able to get uh, your activations with your Ghost Rider to Penance Theorem, you just sacrifice something onto like your little throwaway piece like Nebula. Okay, oh, you're going to you're gonna Cosmic Penance Theorem? How about you Cosmic Penance Theorem Nebula instead? Oh, you just rolled like uh, four crits? Uh, congratulations, it's Wicked Judgment time. Uh, so, so you just dunked on my, my nebula, uh, who I don't care about. And I just did four damage to you. And now I'm going to kill you and you're going to have like one or two power left. Not only that, but he scores points. He's just as fast. When you talk about the difference between like a range three and a range four builder, the range three, six dice, but coming with the hex, you know, it's, it's still fantastic. But what cosmic ghost rider doesn't have or bring to the table is like, he doesn't score VPs as great of a reach as he has and all this other stuff. I would argue that ghost rider has just as good, but he doesn't come with the tactics card. When you can have a model that essentially has 30 hit points. Come on. Do you find that people are able to kill ghost rider? You deal with the devil model and then kill ghost rider again. Like I've always, I've been able to, do that before i don't find ghost rider to be that hard to put down especially if i have good physical attacks killing ghost rider still ko's a model a lot of cases like for example like the reason why rocket and groot are a lot of times where i'm going to bring ghost rider is if i've got groot who's maybe been thrown medium off of a point or some junk and he's sitting off in the bushes somewhere and he's already activated for that round and it's like round four and i just kill him what do i care i don't you know, I can sacrifice like a rocket sitting on the other side of the board, like if I've done that little clean out thing on like a B shape, and to where you're not going to be able to kill me twice. Being able to get potentially two activations out of your Ghost Rider as well can just be massive. But in a lot of cases and circumstances, if you do daze him or KO him, I should say, I can kind of teleport myself to a spot to where you can't hit him again that activation or the next activation. And if you do, well, fine. A lot of times, in order for you to be able to chew through that seven or eight hit points, depending on whether it's his healthy or injured side, is going to require you to be using a high threat, valuable model to do it. And again, if you're using a, a Hulk or a, an I-Hulk or a Malekith or any of these things, which are all higher threat and more valuable models than my Ghost Rider is in theory, then I'm winning. You are being tied up by a lower value thing. And so then I'll just take the rest of my models who are now not being affected by that massive threat that you are posing with your I-Hulk as he dunks on my Ghost Rider. Go ahead and dunk on my Ghost Rider. That's what he's there for. It, to me, is a win. And if you KO my rocket or whatever, what do I care? He's scoring me one VP and not maybe contributing elsewise. That's cool. I bring a Ghost Rider back and he's healthy. Yeah, people have been playing Ghost Rider since he got buffed and Guardians got buffed at the same time for that very reason. They used to run really wide back then and they can easily power up Ghost Rider and Ghost Rider loves when all their models are getting beat on. He's obviously immune to incinerate. Helps like your demons game. Uh, helps the demons game immensely, but uh, I think you know I'll get into that in the detail a little bit more, but the other thing that works really great in Ghost Rider's favor is that now when you're able to surround him with models like Bill and Drax, they don't take a lot of damage at once, right? So you're not getting them spiked out. And so that's what he really likes. You can spike out potentially on like 
a rocket or a star Lord or a nebula much harder to do that into a bill or a Drax. And so when you're doing like one damage per into somebody like Drax, he loves it. Cause that's, you know, you're getting one for one power gains and you get more, uh, bites at wicked's judgment. Yeah. And you know, you can do that. I mean, religiously, you know, you start off, you know, with one power on your ghost rider and damage them all nearby. Oh, is that too cool? Wicked judgment. It's just, you can just spam the thing and it can be, it can be devastating or being able to kill people during the middle of their activation. It can just be something that they just don't expect. You could have a very powered up a uh, ghost rider and you have a Wolverine. He comes in and he starts beaming everybody, right? Or Logan, I should say. And if you've got a ghost rider nearby, Logan could get himself killed doing that. It, like just, just by attacking people, he will get himself killed. And that is just, it's so powerful. Yeah, killing people on their turn is, is so fun, man. Oh, man. So he's just a really great model at, at you know, if you've kind of noticed the theory of like, you know, the penance stare, right, about how it drains out stuff. He's really great at taking these models that already have some damage into them that have power. And he's just a punishing person. Like you, you have to deal with him. Like you have to deal with the devil. You have to. If you don't. He's able to run around the board completely freely. If you do, you're at least avoiding the wicked judgment side of things, and maybe you're shutting down his activations. Then you're dealing with, you know, a deadly duo that has probably been opened up by you going into him in the first place. So fantastic, fantastic fit for this affiliation and the crisis as they run. Since we've been talking about Ghost Rider, we should talk about the lack of Cosmic Ghost Rider here. Now, Cosmic Ghost Rider is, he is the boogeyman of MCP right now. <laughs> You're like a known Cosmic Ghost Rider hater. Explain to people why why you're not a fan of Cosmic. Uh, I don't know, Mike. Like, uh, I don't know that I'm so much a hater, okay? Uh, I tried to make it work. Yeah, that might be the wrong choice of word, but I don't know. Defend your position. I think there are better options that do similar things. In Cosmic's uh, defense, there are certain things that he can do that nobody else can that are probably why he's going to end up getting nerfed. Turn one, I can shoot in your deployment line. Nobody does that. But in order for him to do that, you need to get like a five power roll, be able to do like the uh, the R5 place. That's like a 18% chance. Yeah, 18% chance to do that. Uh, one in five that he, so every one in five games, he does that potentially to what, like shoot in and daze like a three threat in the deployment Like, Okay, congratulations, six threat that can't score points. Like, you know, I would still think that he's a lot more valuable using that power to deny points later in the round and to shoot models and to attack models that would be on like the midpoint of the board. And so he's great on the C shapes, going to be great on the D shapes, you know, anything that requires people to maybe be around a midline. Now, with that being said, I think honestly, like there is also a specialist that had existed prior to him, who was my sixth threat of choice prior to him that does these things and arguably punishes the midline even better. Uh, that hits harder than Cosmic Ghost Rider in the early points of the game. If he so decides, can also decide to score points. I think if you're playing Guardians, like I'm not necessarily going to say that Cosmic Ghost Rider is the wrong choice. I, I think it's an option, but I also think Hulk's an option, but I really think Space Maw is an option and that's the option that I choose. And the reason being is that- Let's talk about Space Maw. He's, he's, I know he's your favorite character and he's finally been released from prison. So I've been saving him for last. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things to where Ma was in my list at a time that being able to pressure the midline with the single extract stuff, it was just so powerful. You know, you could 
basically put Maw across from a point directly across. And for anybody not familiar with uh, with Space Maw, the six threat variant uh, variant that you should be playing if you're going to be running Maw, because uh, I think the five threat is, in my opinion, kind of useless. Because if you want a five threat that just does damage, just run Witch. She's just better. You could you could take Cable. He's better than Maw now. And the reason why is because of action economy. And so what really opens this guy up is the fact that he starts out a game with freaking four power. He can space jam himself forward and he's able to double tap the midline. So when I talk about a double tap, that means he's able to attack twice. Comes with a range four mystic attack, and what makes that range four mystic attack even nastier is the wild trigger, right? You black tongue somebody with our six dice mystic gainer, has a wild trigger, boom, I'm advancing somebody short off of that. If they come up too early into a round or too early into a game, I'm able to attack into them twice. I have a 70% chance with a winging it token of getting that trigger. I think 58 without. More often than not, with two attacks, I'm moving somebody off of that point. The real key to that, besides the fact that that can be devastating to somebody that has picked up something because of what Guardians are able to do with the rest of their team, if you move somebody in, is that Maw, when you do that, it also allows him to throw terrain at them. For anybody not familiar, Maw has probably the best singular terrain throw in the game. Maw is also only paying three power to throw a size four from range three long. Nobody else in the game doing that. And so when you're able to shoot twice into a model on turn one and then throw a size four into them, it is devastating. He is one of the hardest hitting early game models around, period. Now, if you compare that to like a Cosmic Ghost Rider's output or like a Scarlet Witch over the course of a game, Maw as a six threat will outpace Scarlet Witch in damage because his throws better, his action economy is better. And then that's not even talking about the different things that he can do as far as helping his team move around and other stuff, but versus a cosmic ghost rider, there are two things I think you should be trying to accomplish with your maw or your ghost rider. And it depends on your crisis, your crisis shape, what, you know, your opponent's team can consist of uh, this and that. But if you're running C shapes, which I think most guardians teams should be as far as their extracts, or they should be running research station because as you've so famously opined it, it's basically a single extract. You have to come up there and you stand there. And if they're doing that in front of like a cosmic ghost rider or even worse, Ebony Maw, you're going to have a bad time. The C shapes on the other side of stuff. Most teams, would you agree with this, Mike? Don't bring two safe extract plays. Most teams don't know. I mean, it's, I'm sorry. Did you ask if it was guardian specifically or just list in general? Do list in general bring two safe extract plays? No, it's it's rare. I mean, it's like some teams have two eyes on the prize models, maybe. It's definitely rare. I mean, I would say the only obvious one would be X-Men. Yeah, and they're, theirs is kind of like built in, right? Uh, to where that they're, they're able to do that. But, you know, so if they get priority on like a C-shape, there's not a lot you can do about it. But for the most part, like 95, 98% of the matchups you're going to find is that when they're deploying, you'll see there a lot of times when people deploy, they will give you because they've got priority. They're like, nope, this is the extract I'm taking. This is what I'm doing. And because it's like an obvious thing for them. Sometimes that'll be the middle. That'll be otherwise. Okay. Well, now you can go to your side. You can do your safe extract on your flank. On that other flank, you can line up a maw. And if they didn't bring two safe extracts, that's either yours or they're probably going to die. It's just that simple. Uh, hammers, other things like that. If they're And if they're not bringing safe extract plays, He's devastating. If they can't get away, he's devastating. Now, what makes Cosmic Ghost Rider so powerful on some of these shapes, right, is that, well, he's got this great movement ability. He can get around and he can do all this stuff. Ma can also do that. 
a lot of times with a cosmic ghost rider, in order for him to get from the center of the board to a left flank or a right flank uh, extract or secure, he's going to probably need to spend three power. He might still have to make a move. He will still have to make a move in order to get within range three. So you're talking about five power being spent to be able to chain somebody off of it or just get off one attack. Now, if he's able to do like an R4 place, congratulations, he's getting two attacks. He's going to be within range three and he probably can still pull somebody off. You just got an 18% chance to get that amount of power to start out or whatever. But what I prefer is a guaranteed ability to be a menace. There are different ways that you can deploy Maw and it can be from the center of the board that with his power generation, there are certain guarantees that I can set up for myself. Okay. So with a range two uh, space gem, cost two, cool. I then do a medium move and I can go from the center of the board to either flank. I'm getting off an attack and I'm getting off a terrain throw. And again, that's a range three. It just, it happens every time. It is, I don't need to do damage off of the gainer because it's a gainer. I'm getting off the terrain throw. You're either burning off brace immediately. They're going to get dumpstered with something that they probably didn't want to get hit by. Now compare that to a cosmic ghost riders output on turn one. Ma wins as far as potential for damage. Now, if you, they want to brace things fine. You could say six dice skulls plus somebody being incinerated. And again, you had to spend five power to get over there to do that. Usually minimum or more, right? But if they don't brace and if you don't get them, if you get them to burn that, then great. Now you can just dumpster them with terrain for the entire rest of the game. Yeah, exactly. Getting the brace offline is huge. Yeah. And the ability to be able to do that to either flank from the center of the board, guaranteed on turn one, if I so choose, it's massive. There is no guarantee that Cosmic Ghost Rider can do that in the same way that, well, you know, it's like a 50% chance that I get, you know, three power to start out the round with four, or there's also a 50% chance that you get a two and you start out the round with three. And in the inverse, like you could roll one power, you could roll less, right? Ma, four power. The other thing that you have with Ma is the ability to go up in the center of the board and just say, okay, you don't want to come over here? Fine. I guess I'll just walk up and grab something for myself. Or if you're not going to come up to the center of the board, cool. I will space gem somebody like Rocket forward and I'll make him a safe extract grabber as I just go and relocate myself. There is so much utility that you can do when you you have this option at your disposal. You could you could have like the ability to create like an eyes play with Bill without bringing eyes. You have the ability to send somebody over to like a back left, like mutant madman point, right? You could take Bill uh, or like an agent venom, roll that point, move him toward the center. Like, Oh crap. I didn't make it to the center of the board on to grab like an extract or somewhere. Who knows? Right. But you can now move models onto it. And it just, it sets up a lot of things. And I think that, um, because of like the new and shiny aspect of something like a cosmic ghost rider, right. That he's going to get all this shine. And because of the best case scenarios of rolling these 18% or 3% chances that he can do horrifying things. Fine. I played sets at him for like 30 games into every single matchup I could possibly think of at every possible crisis. And I just, I hated the lack of consistency, man. Do you find Maw's durability to be a liability? I find Cosmic Ghost Rider to be fairly durable just because of the Count Skull's like sack of health and incinerate immunity. Yeah, Cosmic Ghost Rider is certainly uh, more durable. There's good reasons for that. One, because he doesn't score points. I mean, most of the time when people are attacking models, they're attacking models that score points. There's no real value in attacking Cosmic Ghost Rider uh, unless you're doing it in ways that drain his power. Because otherwise, you're just going to power him up and you're going to give him the ability to do more of the things that he wants to do and make his life easier for him. But with Maw, 
there's kind of an inverse effect. And because of he's very, very, very hard to deal with at the beginning of a game. And sometimes you're about like up to three rounds. He can be extremely hard to deal with. And the reason for that is because people need to pay power to bypass him. And I guess to answer your question more directly, Mike, I don't have any durability problems with my Moss. I've now played him in probably 25 games since he's been released from Thanos jail. I've only had him KO'd once. And, and the reason for that is that here's a couple of things to kind of consider with Ma and the reason why this people having to pay this power tax thing can be so powerful is that one, he also has a tactics card and that's an entirely separate thing, but I'll be really brief on that is that that can be used defensively. So if you have like somebody like a Hulk or somebody that has a charge or something like that, or something that can allow them to close the gap into him, and then they still have the ability to bypass his physical defense. Well, then you just use that tactics card. Shush, you shut it down. And now they have to move and ruin their action economy to get into you instead. Even if Hulk bypasses Maw and hits him, if he hasn't already hit him twice or if he hasn't taken any damage, odds are he's not dazing or KOing him. Yeah, I would say Shush is definitely a great card. It's it's a card you bring every game with Maw. The other thing is that how many characters in this game exist that have physical attacks that are range four or longer? Physical attacks. Well, Agent Venom. <laughs> uh. There's Agent Venom. He's one. Do you think he really wants to be spending two power to bypass Ma, though? No. Hawkeye. Hawkeye's a good one. Old Winter Soldier used to be a bit of a problem, but uh, not so much anymore. Losing the rapid fire ability. And the other thing is that Ma would absolutely dunk on him in a lot of cases, unless you really wanted to prioritize Bucky going into him. So you've also got uh, Howling Commandos, right? Yeah, they don't want to spend. Oftentimes, I mean, there's a lot of shield models, but yeah, shield would just have to sh- keep shooting him and hope his, his block dice blank out. And so the vast majority of characters in this game that have like decent five dice plus ranged attacks, which are the ones that are going to allow you to spike damage into people, they're typically energy or mystic. And if you're spending two power to go and shoot into four defense, it's a waste. And so in the same ways that you can play with an Agent Venom or a Star-Lord, Maw's the same thing. I love getting matched up into Hulks because if they try to come after my Maw, I'm able to double attack him. He doesn't get rerolls because it's Mystic. I can move him away, and then I can also Space Gem myself away. And if he tries to... And you can silence the Gamma Leap if you need it. Yes, and so they go in, and he doesn't care about the power cost, but it's it's really about slowing him down. And so you get this Hulk that just gets confused now because he doesn't have a gamma leap and the ability to attack you twice. And so he comes in and hits you once and then does some damage. Next round, if he, if he doesn't activate his Hulk first, you're just dunking on him with Maw. And also like in the same way that like Maw is... And by the way, I think Maw is a very viable sixth threat. And But he, he does have flaws, right? You can't just put him in the center of the board because yeah, he is going to have durability problems. But that's not his role. Like you want to, if you can get an extract on him, great. But a lot of times, what you're using with this Guardians list, and if you're starting to kind of see now that we've, you've had a chance to listen to me ramble and so passionately talk about this stuff. When I'm talking about like an Agent Venom, I'm talking about how I'm using models like Star Lord or Maw. And then if you go back to how we're talking about Drax and Bill, or even like a Gamora or a Nebula, right? And you're seeing about how I can throw these frontline models that possess like such an immense value or threat potential amongst themselves, or durability, it now frees up all these other characters behind them, which enables the whole game plan to kind of do what it is that I want. And I'm able to represent a significant amount of firepower. But what really opens that up is is these frontline beaters. 
uh, which Guardians didn't used to have enough of, hence the rogues and, and other things. But now that you've got the bills, it, it's, it is an entirely different beast. So it's, it's fantastic. It's in a good spot right now, but, but that's why people like Maw tend to stick around in a game for me. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, Guardians have a ton of depth right now, arguably the most out of any faction. So the tactics cards. So we've talked a bunch about foreign assignment. That's Agent Venom's card. Talked about Deadly Duo with Rockin' and Groot. Talked about Deal with the Devil with Ghost Rider. Talked about Shush with Maw. Crew of the Mono, we talked about a little bit. I mean, do you have anything else to add about that? It's a Guardians affiliated card. Uh, it's very useful in Web Warriors, like we were saying. And Yeah, you'll run into the the odd uh, Hydra team it's it's Strucker insurance it's there's just a lot more models coming around with uh a lot more status effects more wild triggers these days you're seeing a lot of of uses at spider woman and being able to shut down different things and stuff like that it's just it's valuable but it's it's more or less it's a tech card into certain matchups and it's it's not every game card but it's it's still when it's when it's valuable it can be devastating to your opponent yeah i think amg has made an effort to release a lot of new models that apply conditions and crew has aged uh, very well. Yeah, they certainly have. I'm happy that I, I got the sense of that, right? You always have such a great sense of the game, Mike. So if I'm able to kind of be like, I think, it may, is it just me or like, are there a lot of like status condition type people coming out right now? Like, in fact, Sploosh like took a year off because he was frustrated with Malekith. Then he came back. He's like, why are there so many status conditions everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we've got Galaxy's Greatest, which is the other Guardian's card. I don't know. Do you have any cool, interesting use cases for this other than just being like a generally useful card? I know some people are kind of out on it. Some people don't like it. I would say that the people that are kind of out on it are not playing a pure aggressive Guardians game plan. Uh, These are people that are splashing models like Toad or um, like we kind of talked about, like a Quicksilver. They're, They're a little bit more of a hybrid type of team. More often than not, in all of my my games, I'm typically going to be bringing four affiliated guardians in every matchup, right? I've only got the two splashes. And if you've kind of taken a look at this list, you can see how well everything is able to scale from 15 to 20 threat with both of my five and six threats, right? When you have the ability to bring four or five affiliated models, and with the way that at least I or I think most guardian players will run like more affiliated and they will use these models these you know bill drax nebula a lot of these people like up front or uh or you'll have people that are going to want to try to dunk on rocket and Groot as much as they possibly can because they're uh, afraid of a tactics card which i think people kind of overplay into it again but you know whatever it is a fantastic card if you it's sometimes even worth it if you can just get it on bill or agent venom just by themselves uh, one extra dice for everything for the rest of the game. It's great. It's just, and it's only two power. I know uh, sometimes people are not always into like these extra dice tactics cards, right? Um, a lot of them aren't popular. Like, was it like heavy firepower and all this other stuff? Like they're just. But we're talking not just about like offense. We're talking about defense. We're talking about dodge rolls. You're talking about everything. And so there are just so many cases to where this can come in and just be very valuable. Yeah, a lot of the Guardian stats are just statted above average. And then you add one more and it gets to kind of absurdity levels. And so like for me, like what I've talked about with some of the play patterns that I'll, I'll try to do to, in some cases, I'll actually try to make sure that I get use out of this card. And it comes with me time to really apply some pressure. Like it, 
if I can daze out an entire opponent team in round three, get myself a bit of a scoring advantage, then just give it all up the next round, I will probably KO four out of your five models or however many, you know, 80% of your team in round five using Galaxy's Greatest. Because there's just there's too much firepower in some of these instances that can be represented. Uh, I, I personally think if you're, you're bringing a, a large amount of Guardians, it's invaluable. I think it's great with uh, with Cosmic Ghost Rider. <laughs> um, and boy, if you are running a Cosmic Ghost Rider crew of the Milano in your list, like being able to clear a stagger or a stone off of him is just massive. But uh, if they do decide to attack him for some crazy reason, like him having 5-5-5 five, five, five defense counting skulls, like, come on. So I, I think personally, if you're not running this card, you probably should be, but it's not an every matchup card because there, there's going to be certain teams that you can just take a look at, you know, they're 10 and be like, these guys are not going to hit me hard enough. I'm not going to end up with enough days models to get any use out of this. You're definitely not bringing this card into web warriors. <laughs> well, the argument would be like, well, I could use it after all webbed up. Well, sure. But you could just bring crew of the Milano and then prevent that from happening in the first place. And you're fine. There have been some people like, should I just bring this into every matchup? And I'm like, well, no. It, in the same way that I would say you shouldn't bring Rocket and Groot into every matchup, at least with the way that I've tried to craft my lists over the years, has been about I don't necessarily have a situation where I can't scale all my tech into everything like completely independent of each threat level and to be able to meet the needs of a crisis or meet the needs of an opponent team. Moving on for some of these cards to get going here. We have Eyes on the Prize, which I suspect is just for Bill. I mean, Maw could use it. Yeah, I mean, he can do it himself with just a gem, right? He can gem forward, walk, grab, walk back. So yeah, exactly. And then we've got a uh, mission objective here. People play this card commonly for Rhino. Is that, is that what this is here for? Yeah, it's Rhino Tech. Mostly Rhino Tech. It's uh, now that there's there's less of the I can steal from you directly, like the Black Cat stuff. Well, Black Cat doesn't care about mission objective, but Voodoo, yeah. It, well, that's what I'm saying. Like now that there's kind of less of that existing or less of her existing, the real only things that you have to worry about are Miles Spender, uh, Spider Woman Spender, Rhino, and Voodoo. And Mission Objective deals with all of that. So one of the things you find with Guardians is that, at least from my style of play, I typically will give up extract parity a lot of times. Uh, and my opponent will be scoring one more than me more often than not. What I can't allow to have start having to happen in a lot of cases is when it starts getting to be more than that. That's when it becomes a little bit bad. So you sometimes you really need to try to hold on to uh, at least maintaining parity or only being down the one. If it gets beyond that, it can get a little bit ugly. And so mission objective can be a really good tech into some of those teams. Your restricted cards are brace and sacrifice. The alternatives being R&D and dominable patch up, which I don't think really fit here as well as these two do. Yeah, R&D has never, never really been a thing for Guardians indomitable it's generally good uh, and you're probably happy when you bring it but i don't think it's better than brace i don't think anything's better than brace and so that kind of leaves patch up right and it's like patch up versus brace well i'm a much bigger fan of like preventing damage than healing it and what i mean by that is that i'd much rather just like prevent it from happening in the first place Brace is extremely efficient, so there's no secret there. Yeah, so it, it really comes down to efficiency. I'm I'm preventing four damage in a model for one power instead of just healing it for four, right? The other one would be like sacrifice. And sacrifice can just be used in a lot of different ways that can really mess with a lot of opponents and uh, the ability to redirect a spender. Guardians, in a lot of ways, if people are kind of familiar with uh, maybe how X-Men have played in the past, they, they tend, to, tend to work in like units or pairs. There's typically always one model around the other. And with the mixture of Guardians being able to bring in such like low threat models to be around others, being able to take, like uh, like I mentioned earlier, a 
an attack from my Ghost Rider to put it onto a Nebula, and then being able to Wicked Judgment somebody that throws like a Cosmic Pennant Stare at me, you're going to have a bad time. Or kind of guaranteeing yourself an activation. Or there have been other cases where I've used Sacrifice to kill one of my models on purpose so that I can steal priority and then just bust out, you know, Galaxy's Greatest and go ham on them next turn. It, it just provides a, a ton, ton of utility and, and, and usage. There is one kind of unique play in here that with my list in particular, Sacrifice can do some really super annoying things. Any idea what that might be, Mike? Moving attacks to somebody that isn't Ghost Rider so you can trigger all of Ghost Rider's stuff. That's that's one of them. Okay. Other than that, I'm trying to think here. I'm not seeing it. What is it? Space Maw. People go to attack Space Maw. They pay two power. Maw sacrifices it onto Rocket. Groot Bodyguards Rocket. Yep, yep, yep. This was the old thing with Enchantress back in the day. Yeah, People would attack Enchantress or Mysterio even. You're like, do you want to pay? They're like, yes. And then you're like, all right, I'm sacking to this model. <laughs> yep, but it's even worse when you sacrifice on a rocket and then he gets bodyguarded by Groot. You're now paying two power to attack somebody with physical and instead of attacking Maw, you're attacking four physical defense Groot. Now, the other crazy thing about it is sometimes, depending on like terrain, is that you can have Groot up on like a size three piece of terrain or behind it. And because he's not the sacrifice target, he gets his dice mods back. Ah, yeah, sick. That's awesome. So <laughs> like, yeah. And I did this into a game recently where like somebody came up, tried to bypass Maw, sack it onto Rocket, bodyguard it onto Groot. And it's like, congratulations, you just paid two power to attack Groot in cover with a physical attack. Hell yeah. Pretty fun stuff there. And then, of course, like you can just sacrifice something on a rocket, then just bodyguard in a group with anybody else. So that is a, a minor little bit of uh, fun shenanigans brought to you by the lovable misfits right there. Well, speaking of lovable misfits, I was going to ask you, how do you feel about that card? It's obviously not here. I think there's a case for it. If I was running Cosmic Ghost Rider, I'd be here. I don't hate it as much as I, I used to. There is kind of a good general rule about it. If like you can end up in like a situation to where like there's a lot of potential good outcomes, the cool just fire it off. But I will tell you that like if you have a cosmic ghost ride in your list, use lovable misfits, it's a pretty butt clenching moment for your opponent because him getting off a free attack for one power, you're gonna have a bad day. So uh, I think it's it's worth bringing if you've got Cosmic, I guess. I mean, do you think the risk of Cosmic stunning himself on lovable misfits is not that bad? Ah, you just bring crew. Yeah, okay. Because, you know, at that point, you just clear it anyhow. You don't always like spending power on him, but that can be pretty decent case usage. It's a solid card. It's just, do I think it's better than Shush or more valuable than tech like Mission Objective or Eyes or Crew? Yeah, probably not. I think if you were going to switch anything in this 10, it would be Galaxy's Greatest. And even then, you know, like for the reasons that I mentioned, just being a more aggressive player, I probably win or would win if my games would like go to time or like the end of things before people would concede. I'm probably still tabling like 30% of my opponents before, you know, concession happens. But only scoring out like two thirds of the time, probably. The other thing that's not here is We Are Groot. How do you feel about that? Good card. I think there's there's a case for it i just don't run groot as much as maybe some other people i don't run gamma you could easily use this on intrusions just as well if i was running gamma and intrusions and not infinity then sure because those are all appropriate crises for groot yeah i see people typically bring it with thanos i mean healing thanos is a lot of value yes yeah yep that is uh that is a massive thing there but the other thing that you run into when you're running these thanos lists is that these 
Guardians teams are just not going to be as wide. And so the viability of a lot of other things starts to go away. And especially the old Thanos list when he was counting as restricted, like that opens up a lot of slots. You see things like recal in there and a bunch of other stuff that otherwise I don't think is making a Guardians 10 even six months ago. But Thanos is it just it's a completely different beast. So in those instances, yes, absolutely. I think we are group makes a ton of sense, even if you just are able to use it on Thanos. Okay, we got crises. I mean, we could start with demons. Demons is very much like the de facto guardian scenario. You have two models immune to incinerate. Agent Venom's functionally immune to incinerate. Rocket can stand on a point and never get attacked. Uh, it's low scoring, forces people down the middle. Uh, your gun line, it's pretty good. If you're a Guardians player, this needs to be in 100% of your lists. It's perfect for Bill. It is perfect for OG Ghost Rider. It is actually perfect for Rocket and Groot. Being able to place Rocket onto a back point and placing Groot nearby or slightly in front of him. Um, I've done some videos on this to kind of show how it's done, but it's just, it could be devastating for opponents uh, because you have backstopped Groot, you know, with Rocket. Rocket doesn't take any collision damage. Groot can't be pushed through him, obviously. And Rocket just sits there incinerated. And even if Rocket is incinerated and Groot's not around, he doesn't really care. He's going to be blocking one anyhow. So it's like the incinerate, even if he's not there, is kind of pointless. Like another person that you should actually consider that doesn't necessarily care about being incinerated that much, Star Lord. Hmm, why? Lucky attitude, homie. <laughs> I guess. He becomes a, a real plucked up monster when uh, you incinerate him because when you're rolling two dice, he's pretty much going to get you a block. If you're rolling three dice, you're probably going to get a block more often than not. You're rolling two dice now with plucky attitude, you're getting your block. He's always going to be a block in one. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. But when you have like the ability to have like an optional reroll thing like that, that is conditional, the less dice you have, the better it becomes. But it's a highly underrated defensive ability. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, I'll just just redo this. We talked a little bit about Infinity Formula, talked about it with Agent Venom. Yeah, Agent Venom, this is his real big thing. I think, again, I've, I've actually done a lot of videos on this stuff. So, like, if you ever get a chance to sell promotion time, like, check those out. It will show you these plays a little bit more detail. But for, like, a lot of these crises or a lot of these, you know, things that are in this list, there are kind of specific case usages for a lot of these models and, and things that, that work <laughs> that are... Even if your opponent knows it's coming, almost really hard to deal with. And in my opinion, even before Agent Venom, uh, Infinity was a, a good to not to maybe great crisis uh, for Guardians, and in, in that it allows you to kind of work in units and set up lanes into the board. Except this B-shaped stuff, it does it for you automatically. The reason why Agent Venom is so devastatingly good here is because he has a range four attack. Starlord is very good on this because he has a range four attack. Rocket, very good range four attack. Uh, Bill, him getting the extra power, but also being able to be as sturdy as he is, he can hold up on a flank. Ghost Rider being able to get across all this stuff, all these things in this list, range four attacks from Maw, he doesn't need the extra power, but these things still exist. So typically a lot of times when you're playing on infinity or a B shape in general, I think there's two things you want to be looking for out of models in order to be successful on them. And it should start with range four attack or a charge, because that's going to be what allows you to get to the other point and affect it. Um, it just guardians happen to have the range. And so you can really bully out some other teams on here. And if you're able to do things late and around with some of these characters, whether it be a Bill, a Drax, or whatever, when they've got the extra power from this, you just walk over to the other side, throw them off the point, you get the power, they don't, all that other stuff. And you can just set a model like a Bill over on the other flank on the opposite side of the table, or you can put a Ghost Rider over there while you've got Rocket and Groot 
and Star Lord and the rest of your team and Bill or whoever it is, you can just throw Ghost Rider over there and just throw him away. Let him go deal with their entire squad and you kill whatever two, you know, six threat worth of the team they've got left on the side. And you just and by the time they kill Ghost Rider, you've already cleared out your side of the board, sacrifice your rocket. Ghost Rider's back on the other side of the table after uh uh Hell on Wheels and Bingo Bango, right? Still in business. So there's a lot of really great synergy in case uses here, but in my opinion, because of how much he just loves the power, because of his ability and range, because of the ability to throw, this is Agent Venom's absolute best crisis in Guardians. He obviously has great utility in Scoundrels, but he is a monster on uh, Infinity Formula. Absolutely love it. And then we've got Intrusions here. Intrusions can be scary for gun lines, but you do have Drax and Gamora and you said you'd like to have Maw kind of threaten people who walk up to the middle. So I am not surprised to see this here. Yeah. The C shape is, is really great for guardians, but again, you can almost just give up on one entire side of a board and just let them have it. Let them go put a model over there and, and let them sit there. And if they have to spend a power to come through a portal, sometimes they might not even do it because maybe on like round two, they're worried because if maybe they've picked up an extract or something, they just get stuck there. Now they're they're stranded over here on Gilligan's Island, like not contributing to with the offense that you're bringing uh, into the rest of the team. And when you're able to put like frontline models like a Bill, a Drax, or high damage representation models like a Gamora Nebula up there in front of people that have to occupy or draw attention or ire or attacks into them, it allows models like Agent Venom, Maw. Star-Lord to be able to sit back at a, a safe range and just contribute to either the middle or the right or wherever it is that you need the extra attacks and damage to go into. But out of all of these, I like it the least. It's a little bit too much clumpage uh, for my taste. I think you could run Gamma. It's similar, but in some cases, a lot of times people with Gamma, they can sit on a back point and still be able to kind of affect you. Whereas on like a C-shape, like I said, a lot of times the model's going to get stranded. It's the only reason that this thing sticks around. So we've got, the the last thing we've got is extracts. We've got Alien Ship and Deadly Legacy Virus. They're both kind of the same thing. And you'd mentioned how this is more map C things where you want people to come to the center. Ma opens up a weird amount of things that aren't always uh, obvious. So, you know, being able to send up like a bill because you're pretty sure you can get the one damage and throw somebody back medium, right, might be worth it more than taking a risk with Ma of not getting uh, my wild trigger. Oh, so you're you're saying Space Gem bill up so he can take a walk, hit somebody, and if he gets a power, he throws the medium backwards into the team. A lot of different ways you can play this thing, but it is mostly about, you know, it being an odd numbered extract that is low scoring and people just not having enough ways to prevent me from being able to focus in on one person. And even if they go and try to put like a, like a lizard or somebody that's really tough uh, onto a flank, if Ma is able to line up across there, if Ghost Rider is able to line up across, it's just going to have a bad time. It doesn't matter. And our last extract we've got is Research Station. This is pretty much the de facto, I want to kill you extract. Yeah, I know you guys here on this uh, on this podcast have a pretty strong and uh, well-documented opinion on this crisis, and uh, it should be as secure, if nothing else. Um, <laughs> like, I, I don't necessarily get why it isn't. Um, I've heard different things over the years, but uh, to just kind of cut directly to the chase on this, this is a Maw specialty. 
if you come up into the center of the board at all, and if you're going against the Guardians team that is able to be five to six wide with a six threat on the board, odds are I'm getting a last activation into you. If you'll talk to like some good players, you know, like I've had conversations with, you know, different people and they've just been like, well, on turn one, I'm just not going to go to the center of the board if you got Ma. Cool. <laughs> like, like, I love it because, you know, you just take that research and you just move it backwards. Right. Like, you know, if you're playing on something like a, like an F shape or a B shape or even a D shape, right. If I have the ability to just move the thing backwards, I now no longer need to commit myself to these other points in order to maintain any sort of parity or any sort of a scoring advantage. Right. But my opponent does in order for them to keep the scoring equal. I just need to sit on a back point. If it's a D or an E, or if it's a B, I sit on like a back corner. And again, like a lot of this stuff, if you like, we've kind of kind of pointed out to you and like, uh, you've probably picked up on, it's like, it's all about creating situations to where my opponent has to decide, am I going to abandon points and leave some points out on the table that are just not going to get scored? Or am I going to abandon models? I'm fine with either way. But my goal being the aggressive team is I want to force them to make those decisions. And a lot of these crises and the way that a lot of the strategies are built into it uh, are meant to force that. Yeah, researcher, there's really no alternative to fighting over it. You have to. Both players have to play for it. Yeah, good luck going in the uh, the middle of the board with Space Maw directly in front of it. You're going to have a bad day. <laughs> yeah, it kind of becomes... I do think I do think teams can there are teams that can deal with that but it's very much a arms race and who brings the bigger stick situation and I don't want to go on a soapbox about research station. <laughs> no, yeah, it's uh you could literally listen to about 90% of the other danger episodes if you wanted to hear Mike talk about uh about research station, right? <laughs> yeah, I've I've been I've hated research station basically since existence. It doesn't make any sense like design-wise, but that's a different conversation. But yeah, man, that is uh, that is the Barncat Guardians in the in a very rambly, overly excited coffee caffeine fueled uh, rants on my part, man. Yeah, we're definitely a little bit over time. Hell yeah, that's how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't expect anything less than. Uh, in fact, I had you do this episode because I wanted somebody who wasn't all in on like the Cosmic Ghost Rider train and wanted like a different perspective on Guardians. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to say thank you for coming on. And I have a couple questions before we end. Who's your most wanted character from the comics for MCP that doesn't exist yet? Cosmo. Hell yeah. <laughs> Cosmo the space dog. I love Cosmo so much. Ah, uh, dude. I mean, I, I love Ma, right? And it's just like, I feel like Cosmo, I, I just, I love the idea of having a ranged mystic high threat attacker in Guardians, right? And so I think his power warrants, you know, a five plus threat look. Uh, he is extraordinarily powerful. And if they give him access to some of the tech that he's got, you know, from uh, from nowhere there being the chief of security, you know, like, uh, I forgot the name of the teleportation bracelets and all that stuff, but like, he's just, uh, he's awesome. But he provides like a, I mean, he's, he could be a secondary leader. I mean, you could easily make the argument. You could literally just call his leadership chief of security. He, he'd be the guy. Why, why do you like Cosmos so much? This is a Russian space dog with psychic powers. I just like weird characters a lot of the time. Um, but Cosmo is just really fun. Yeah, he's just like this. He's just like this this boss, like kind of like this uh, overseer, if you will, of nowhere. And it's usually a good time. I mean, you start to see it kind of in, uh, you know, the movie like Volume 3 where Cosmo is is seen a little bit more of like a member of the team. But uh, he, uh, as he's known in the comics, is 
he's more or less just kind of dedicated to nowhere. And I like the, while it was considered like the guardians, like kind of like base of operations, like I think in most iterations of the comics, like nowhere was kind of like independent, like entity sort of operating like a, like a Narshada or like a, you know, type of thing from like star Wars to where it's just like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're kind of affiliated with stuff, but you know, a lot of people operate out of here and Cosmo's a guy that just ends up tying it all together. And it's because like, he's so powerful that he just literally like prevents it from being like getting out of control. And yeah, he's just a one man police station there on that thing. So. Yeah, I think if I my other guardians pick for MCP that I would like to see be Philavel, uh, just with all the energy weapons, I think would be really awesome. Maybe we'll get them at some point. I hope so. I've heard a lot of people that are more like I'm. I'm just finishing like the Annihilation series with Guardians, but uh, a lot of people are talking a lot more about like some of the newer Guardians, like Moon Dragon and stuff like that. And yeah, Moon Dragon, Adam Warlock, they're the big those f- and like Nova. Nova, Nova would be the other potential, like in my opinion, leader. No, I guess Yondu as well, right? There's, there's, there's like six big ones. Yondu, yep, that'd be another one. And then last question, heroes or villains? Are Guardians heroes or villains? No, uh, heroes or villains, what who's, what do you prefer? Are you a hero or are you a villain? What am I? Uh, I don't know, I'd probably be considered a villain. All right, all right. I I would like to think of myself as like being a hero, but I'm probably considered a villain in a lot of cases. The question's definitely not directed at like, are you a hero or are you a villain? It's I guess it's like more of what, what, what's your affinity more towards? More like a, a Loki-ish type of a scoundrel. So you're an anti-hero. All right, all right, Barncat. That'll wrap us up here. Thank you, listeners. Oh, before we end, uh, you should advertise your YouTube channel. Oh yeah. No, I, I kind of alluded to it a, a few times and uh, I don't make a huge deal about it, but I think it can be really helpful for, uh, for guardians players in particular. And uh, for some folks looking for some of the stuff on that Monito list that I talked about. But uh, um, in addition to that, I'll try to do a better job getting some more games uh, streamed in there from like the TTS leagues. And I've gotten two uh, from the top cuts and one featuring Mr. Dunford and one featuring Mr. Schick, but that's just going to be known as the barn cat barn cast over on uh, YouTube. Um, again, I've done some turn zero turn one strategy stuffs. If you're at all curious about maybe this kind of lanes thing that I've talked about, I did this whole entire zany thing where I've drawn like little lines all over the board and everything to kind of show that breaks down and talked about like different things like that. But I look to be doing more strategy guides in there, more of the turn zero turn one. I might start doing battle reports, but um, for the most part, I'm going to try to keep it to being like almost like strategy or tactics based things uh, with the occasional stream games um, as I'm able to pick them up and hopefully don't get into the battle report thing unless people want to see that. But yeah, that's just a barn cat barn cast over on uh, YouTube, man. And then, of course, if anybody ever wants to to just chat or whatever, you can typically find me. I'm in, usually hanging out in a bunch of the uh, the MCP-related discords, but I'm just uh, the barn cat, so you can always feel free to DM me if... Uh, I tried to listen to that episode of The Danger Room, but you just wouldn't shut the hell up. Like, it was too much. <laughs> so... If you could, if you'd let Mike do a better job of like steering things in the future, man, like that would be awesome. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I get- These episodes are all about letting the guest uh, shine. So people listen to me enough. Okay. Uh, listeners, thank you for listening and we will see you in the next one. Bye.